1: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. I am your host. Uh, Thank you uh, for joining me. Uh, What I need you to do first is uh, hit that subscribe on YouTube, hit that five star rating on uh, Apple or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, You need to support this fearless army because uh, we're in the midst of a great week of shows. This is Wednesday hump day. Uh, We're halfway home to the weekend and I'm going to keep riding the same horse we've been riding all week because it's not out of laziness. It's not out of clickbait. It's not out of, oh, this is easy. It's this Will Smith conversation with Chris Rock. It's just never ending. There are so many different ways to get at this topic. And it says so much about our modern culture. And so uh, this morning, when I was thinking about doing the show, my initial gut instincts were Hey, let's delve into some of these uh, sports topics. Uh, the NFL's changed its overtime rules. Let me get Steve Kim on and let, let's, let's just talk some football. Let's talk a little college basketball. Let's talk about the Lakers fading. They lost again uh, last night. But I just, as I just kept thinking and thinking and thinking, I'm like, there's more meat on this Will Smith bone. There's more meat on this whole conversation about what Will Smith and Chris Rock, what they say about modern American culture. And these th- I, I just want to continue to broaden the discussion. I think on Monday, uh, we had a big discussion and we went to our regular group of contributors and we all kind of trashed Will Smith. Yesterday, I brought on a couple of people uh, that I respect who defended Will Smith in Brian Sharp aka Hotep Jesus uh, Steve Days from right here at Blaze TV and the Steve Dace show and we went back and forth and that was great to you know on Monday we had one style of show on Tuesday we had a different style with some disagreement and going back and forth with guys uh, that I respect today Uh, We'll end uh, with some Tennessee Harmony, and we'll get more of a biblical uh, perspective on Will Smith and Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett. We'll hear from Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony uh, on, on this topic. You know, most everything on this show comes from a biblical perspective, but, you know, where I'm not as biblically sound as uh, Anthony and Bobby, two ministers, this is, that's their profession. Uh, I'm still in the world a little bit. And so I'm gonna have a bit more of a secular conversation uh, to start out the show. And, and I plan to, but I can't 100% guarantee uh, that I'm going to get to uh, Shamika Michelle and Dave Shannon. I've got them on standby. They're they're listening, watching. Uh, I think it's my intentions to get to them, but I don't know how long I'm going to go here in trying to encapsulate all the different things uh, that I'm feeling and try to bring it all under one umbrella and make one broad point about American culture. I, I, I'm going to start, and, and again, if. You guys know, uh, I think I've talked about the conceit of this show that ministers and comedians have failed America and that uh, ministers and comedians have been authorized in a country that respects freedom of speech. You have to have strong, robust ministers and comedians who speak uncomfortable truths. They create the room for the rest of us to have conversations. They ministers from the pulpit are authorized and are supposed to say things that make their congregations uncomfortable. You go to church to confess your sins. Be somewhat condemned for your sins. Uh, You know, we've turned the church into this real feel good session where everybody wants to come out of there feeling like, Hey, I'm my best me and I'm this and that. And, and we don't ministers have gone away from addressing the hard truths, confronting believers, Christians, Americans, whatever. And we've, we've seen comedians silence through cancel culture. And through the rise of big tech and the social media apps controlling American conversation and discourse. And so we've seen a lot of comedians silenced, fearful, uh, all preaching, all cracking the same joke, all basically representing the establishment. You can write the same punchlines for Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Uh, whoever is the big comedian, we've seen it affect Dave Chappelle. We've seen it affect all of them. And so for those of you who might think, oh, he's making too much of this whole deal. I'm not. If you understand the conceit, the premise of this show, this whole fearless army, I'm trying to inspire men. I'm trying to inspire ministers. I'm trying to inspire comedians. Do your jobs, men, ministers, comedians. Do your job. Commit to speaking truth, no matter how uncomfortable. That's your job. And we have been failing to do that, and that's why this country is bogged down in a very dishonest discourse that is taking us on a path to Sodom and Gomorrah, to Babylon. That's why America is falling off of its perch as the world leader, because men, ministers, and comedians refuse to be bold and fearless in pursuit of the truth. And so, Will Smith, walking up on a stage and slapping a comedian. This is far more significant than people want to fully understand, talk about, embrace. And I know that Chris Rock was, wasn't speaking some incredible, thought-provoking truth. He was cracking a harmless joke about Jada Pinkett Smith uh, being bald and being perfect for G.I. Jane, too. I, I know he wasn't challenging authority. I know he wasn't, he wasn't some bold joke about Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or even Donald Trump. It was just a harmless throwaway line, but when someone like Will Smith, an elite, like Will Smith, and Chris Rock's an elite too, but Will Smith's a bigger star uh, than than Chris Rock. When someone like Will Smith walks up on a stage in front of the entire world and slaps a comedian, and and then goes back and sits in his chair and says, "Keep my wife's name out your effing mouth." And he bullies someone in that fashion on a world stage and no one does anything. No security comes out. The people in that audience applauded this man 30 minutes later and treated him like a hero. This man assaulted someone who was speaking a tiny, 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 harmless, uncomfortable truth. Jada Pinkett Smith lost her hair. That tiny, tiny, uncomfortable truth, And this man gets up out of his chair and assaults this man and everybody in the audience, all these woke liberal social justice warriors, nothing (laughs) applause, celebration. This is significant. And so I'm not, I don't want to let this moment go without exploring all the things that it says about our culture and what we should think about it. And so I'm going to continue this conversation. And, and I want to start with showing a couple of clips from a couple of comedians Bill Maher and Jim Carrey who understand the importance of this moment. They're not going to explain it to you the way that I just did, but they understand the importance of this moment. You will hear them and think, oh, they're just trying to protect their profession. Bill Maher doesn't want to get assaulted when he's on stage. Jim Carrey doesn't want to get assaulted if if he does stand up again. They're, They're just looking out for their own. They're not expressing it, but they understand And Bill Maher certainly does if you've been following his show and how he's been drifting away from the approved groupthink talking points. He understands the importance of his job as a comedian in the protection and the expansion of public discourse and freedom of speech. And so let's play these clips back to back. This is Bill Maher and Jim Carrey, I think, yesterday talking about Will Smith. And and their reaction to it,
0: but that was just out of line, and it reinforced the idea that uh, you know jokes are the enemy, and and you know it was sort of like cancel culture uh, encapsulated because at first you saw he was laughing at the joke, right? This is what happens a lot with cancel stuff, you know. At first, oh, it's funny, and then you look around. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be offended. And then there's the overreaction. He was like the Twitter mob come alive. I'm OK with it. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be offended. Now I'm going to just wildly overreact. You know, I must admit, I had not really <laughs> i had heard the term alopecia, but I didn't really associate it. I, I knew it was something whatever. And then I was like, oh, it's losing your hair. OK, well, alopecia is not leukemia. Okay, we're all struggling with our hair. I certainly don't have every one I've ever had. And uh, it's just, it, it's kind of ridiculous. To, if, if that's where you draw the line, that's the no joke zone, you need to get over yourself. So he what, said, what would have happened if Chris had uh, reacted differently and hit back? And this person said he couldn't. He had the whole race on his shoulders. Chris Rock is the hero here. And has been a hero many times to me in my life. You know, he's not just one of the great state-of-the-art comedians we've ever had, um, but at that moment, you know, it was sort of a, I mean, on a much lower level, but sort of a Jackie Kennedy after the assassination moment where we're, you know, where we're looking to someone to kind of like just pull it together, dignity, dignity, and get the train back on the tracks. And um, he did it. And uh, I think he should get a lot of credit for it.
2: I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood
3: is just spineless, en masse. And uh, it just, it really felt like, oh, this is a really clear indication that uh, we're not
2: the
1: cool club anymore. I, I, I really... Love Jim Carrey's because again, I already knew where Bill Maher was. I watch his show. Uh, he's been red pilled. He won't admit it. He knows that the left has gone way too far. He knows that big tech has gone too far. Uh, he's, he's, I knew where Bill Maher would be on this. This doesn't surprise me. But to see Jim Carrey come out and say that he was sickened and that he's starting to recognize that his whole little group is a group of sickos who would watch a man assault another man for no justified reason and then give him a standing ovation because again and they all did it because they're all sitting there thinking oh my god will smith's black how's twitter gonna react uh we what well, in this one we should all act like we love will smith he's black And this is just black-on-black crime, so it's not a big deal. It's not like Derek Chauvin escaped from prison and and, and stood on the neck and shoulders of Chris Rock. That would have been terrible. This is just a black man assaulting another black man. Uh, This is nothing. We love Will Smith. I think that's what Twitter wants us to do. And so that's what they did. And Jim Carrey is starting to recognize these people are sick. They don't have an original thought, an independent thought, a free thought in their head. They're robots controlled by social media. And they all had to go check their Twitter. What's black Twitter saying? Huh? What should I react to? And so they just took the safe route and just applaud. It's a black man up there giving a speech, and he's crying. Let's just applaud him. So I just want to, we, we've started there. Men, ministers, comedians. Part two of where I want to take this conversation and I want you guys to understand if anybody in corporate media from my time at ESPN, my last stint at ESPN, to my last stint at Fox Sports, uh, to my brief involvement with Outkick, to this show here at Blaze. I have told everyone what I'm doing is inspired by and a reflection of two commercial television shows that uh, had great success in the 80s and 90s. I think if my time frame is correct, The Fresh Prince of Bel Air and The Cosby Show. I said I'm trying to build a show, a platform, a brand, a persona that taps into what the Cosby show and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air tapped into. Traditional family values expressed by black people laced with humor. People love it. I've I've been se- the exact same message over and over again for the last decade to ESPN, to Fox sports, to outkick, to the blaze. People love traditional family values expressed by black people laced with humor. So you you take the Cosby show, the Fresh Prince, my belief that ministers and comedians and men have let us down here in America. That's what this show is trying to encapsulate. That's why the show leans into so many men first Christian men. And just fathers. If you look at the contributors uh, that we bring on to the show, it's not by accident that Delano Squires Uh, is married, three kids, great father, Christian values. It's not an accident that Dave Shannon married, I believe, six, maybe seven kids. I can't remember. I'm not even sure if Dave can remember. Uh, But Christian values. It's not a coincidence that Uncle Jimmy's on the show. Not married, raising two young boys, has already raised three daughters, Not a coincidence that T.J. Moe. Married, young child, 11 months old, Christian values. This is all intentional. And again, it's all a recognition of things that, again, I'm single, don't have kids, haven't been married. There's a set of values that I believe in that I have not fully lived up to. And that's why, again, the ministers that we have on every Wednesday, and I've made them a part of the show, married, have raised kids, leading churches. This is all intentional. Royce White, strong brother, strong faith, uh, commitment to his kid. Not married. We're not all perfect. We're not all living out the principles taught in the Bible. This show is a mix of my Christian faith, my belief in family, my belief in America, my belief in comedy, my belief in truth, my commitment to truth. And I am, and I've talked about, I'm I'm a reflection primarily of my grandmother and my father. And I, I say that in no way to shortchange my mother. My mother laid a foundation in me and built a system of support. She fertilized the soil. She, she allowed me to grow into a full grown man, put me in a stable environment, stable address, provided all the support. But I gotta be real. My grandmother's faith in God and her representation of Christianity, has left an indelible mark on me, that even when I was at my most sinful and worst, Mama Lovey was in me. My father, just the man that he was, the cast your bucket down Booker T. Washington, I'm going to find my happiness here in America. I don't need the approval of anybody to do what I want to do. I can do it. My father's masculinity and just outlook on life that he was responsible for Jimmy Whitlock and his happiness and his success, never a victim despite growing up in an era when he was victimized, but never a victim. Those two things, my grandmother's faith, my father's representation of manliness, are what drive me. And I found all of that in commercial television shows, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and The Cosby Show. And I sit here today, mortified, uh, frightened, uh, concerned that Bill Cosby and Will Smith, different levels, but both have been disgraced. We don't have to go into details about Bill Cosby and, you know, his behavior that landed him in prison for a time and disgraced him. And and I know there are people that believe the, the allegations against Cosby have been exaggerated Uh, and, And I understand that argument, I've looked into it. I don't know how I feel about the criminality of what Bill was accused of. I do know that he should have never put himself in that position. That given his wealth, influence, fame, power, and skin color, should have never put himself in a position where he could be that vulnerable to accusations by that many women. And and I'm going to give a very non-biblical point of view, but I'm just gonna keep it real in terms of the conversations I have with my friends when I talk about Bill Cosby and all this other stuff. This man is using drugs to bed women in Hollywood? I lived in Hollywood for 10 years. There's no stronger uh, drug than money in Hollywood. And Bill Cosby had plenty of money. So there's no reason for this man to be resorting to drugs. None, and I I understand that drugs are prevalent out in Hollywood. I have been to two different parties at the Playboy Mansion in my earlier days. Bill Cosby didn't need drugs to get laid. He didn't have to roofie nobody. This was an irresponsible choice made by somebody that had positioned himself in a way that he just couldn't be accused of that, particularly not married. So, again, I I, I don't know the details of the criminality. I do understand how irresponsible, foolish and immoral what Bill Cosby was doing. And he's disgraced himself. And his show, The College, which is still a great show, is an inspiration for this show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and what that show represented. Same thing. Uncle Phil, Aunt Viv, Carlton, Will, the whole family dynamic. It's, It's a celebration of family, traditional values, It's not some celebration of we hate America and uh, everything's wrong with America and oh, we're all victims here, blah, blah, blah. This was, the, the Fresh Prince just hit so close to home to me because I had the same relationships with members of my family in terms of like, hey, come live with me. Let's get you up out of this situation that, Will allegedly from Philadelphia, or he is from Philadelphia, but you, you get the point. He was coming out to live with Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil to get him up out of the situation that he was in so that he could live a better life. Exact same scenario I went through with my, my own family, cousins that I love like brothers and sisters. And so the show touched me and left an indelible mark, but For me, as a media figure, why the shows were so important is because they were so successful. Everybody, black and white, loved these shows and watched these shows. They were dynamic forces in terms of ratings. Cosby Show, probably the most popular show maybe in the history of American TV. And I've been arguing to executives in the media business, you have all of these uh, black media figures who think, Oh, if I just get more militant and appeal to Twitter, my popularity's gonna grow. If I just get more hip hop, more X rated hip hop, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get more popular. That's where the cultures moved, to X rated pornographic hip hop music and, you know, denigrating America. And it just does not work. I was, the entire time I was watching Jamel Hill and Michael Smith do their version of the ESPN Sports Center show, The Six, I was like, this is crazy. They have to, we representing for the culture, the culture. And embracing all this hip, I was like, this doesn't work on TV. Cosby and, and, and Will Smith showed you what works on TV. And so I'm sitting here today trying to fully understand how two icons, two good guys, two, two guys that allegedly uh, represented the best of not just America and not just black America, but I, that's what I meant to say, not just black America, but America have they both disgraced themselves in this fashion? And Will Smith, not to the level of Bill Cosby, but he has been disgraced here. He made a fool of himself. He's taken all the shine off himself. He's allowed his wife in this situation and his lack of emotional control to make a complete and utter fool of himself and totally rebrand himself. When you start Bill Maher and Jim Carrey and him letting you know, like, oh, they don't respect Will Smith. He looks like a clown. Another man with no emotional control. Behaving just like a crazy woman. I said it earlier in the week. I'm surprised he didn't go up there and try to uh, rip Chris Rock's hair out, snatch his bra off. The whole thing was very feminine. So let me expound on this because Will Smith's not out here on an island. This our entire culture has gone. Extra feminine. We've it's across the board. Men are being emasculated. But it is most acute within us, black men. And I'm sorry, but that's just a fact. Will Smith and what he did is not a one off. He's cut from the exact same tree, the exact same cloth as Russell Westbrook. Another multi-millionaire elite with feminine energy, completely out of control. And they mask their femininity with hyper aggression. They run around. They bullies now. Russell Westbrook. Oh, my God. Don't let the word Westbrook come out your mouth. Keep Westbrook out your effing mouth. At the threat of violence. That's what Russell Westbrook, the NBA star, has been doing. He's been basically foreshadowing I'm going to do to somebody what Will Smith did to Chris Rock. We have feminine energy running wild in America most particularly within black men in America. So how, how did how did we get here? And, and this will take some extra explaining, extra, uh, you know, stick with me. But th- this goes all the way back to or this connects to the ta Coates led attack on respectability politics. They came up with this term, respectability politics. It's a term to denigrate the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, and that generation. They fought for the rights of black people by using respect by leaning into being respectable by dressing themselves and carrying themselves and presenting themselves in the most respectful way possible. And they did it to expose the lunacy of their opponents and the lack of dignity and respect and Christianity and morality and integrity of the people opposing them. But ta Coates and his acolytes and, and his sycophants and followed in by this Ibram X. Kendi, they have demonized, ridiculed, diminished the tactics used by Martin Luther King and that generation have basically called them sellouts. And this is, again, if you understand who supported civil rights and who didn't. Who supported the dignified, Christian, respectful approach of Martin Luther King and who didn't? And then who, in reaction to the success of Dr. King and that generation's tactics and approach, Who decided we're going to hand black people feminism, the LGBTQ agenda and the matriarchy as their next movement culture agenda. The matriarchy, feminism, LGBT. That's what we were handed. That's what replaced Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. And so, for the last 60 years, and then in the last 10, 15 years, in the era of Ta-Nehisi Coates thinking and the demonization of respectability politics, we've gone with disrespect politics. And that respect has no place in the discussion in a movement to seize power, to seize respect, to, to, to improve equality, to level the playing field. Respect has nothing to do with any of it. In fact, disrespect getting in someone's face and bullying them, slapping someone, turning violent towards someone, anybody that you feel has disrespected you is worthy of a violent assault. Emotion. Give in to your emotions. Express your emotions. Become more like women. Those men who led you to freedom here in America who walks you to all this opportunity that you're now enjoying. They were fools. They put on suits and carried themselves like men and presented themselves as the epitome of American manhood. They were fools. Disrespect is the path you should go. Give in to your emotions express them. And when you do, we will stand up and applaud. When you walk up on stage completely out of control with your emotions and slap another black man or pull a gun on one, we will either stand and applaud or we'll look the other way as if nothing happened. We will step over the dead bodies all scattered across your communities, killed by other black boys and men who have no emotional control, who run around like women, crying on TV, crying every chance they get, letting their emotions control every action they have. We will applaud that. But let a white woman or a white man in any way lose their composure when engaging with you. And we'll call them a Karen. We'll paint them as a white supremacist. We will turn the entire mob against them because, damn it, they're held to standards, you're not. There are no standards for your conduct and behavior. You don't have to respect anybody, any platform, any event, any person. Just lose yourself in your emotions. Don't give anybody, not even yourself. As you disrespect yourself and call yourself the N word in every song you possibly can, as you let that word fly out of your mouth, in every environment that you can. We will applaud it. That is your culture. You don't respect anybody or anything, including yourself. You've adopted a name and called it a term of endearment that denigrates you. We applaud that. Good job, boy. How how did we get here? How how did we pivot from Rosa Parks and Jackie Robinson? People who were chosen to represent the best of us. Jackie Robinson was not the most talented baseball player at that time. He was chosen because he represented the best of us. He could handle the situation of integrating baseball in 1947. They didn't go, uh, spot Jackie Robinson high on drugs, passing out counterfeit 20 bills, $20 bills and say, Hey, You're going to be the hero. You're the guy. We're going to build monuments to you. They went and found the best and brightest. Not to denigrate Claudette Colvin. That was the woman before Rosa Parks, nine months before Rosa Parks, Claudette Colvin at 15, she refused to give up her seat on a bus in the South. She got arrested. They didn't choose her because she didn't fit the profile. She was a teenage pregnant person. And I don't care if they were right, wrong, or if you think they were right, wrong, they were strategic and said, nah, in order for this to work, we don't need a teenage mom. We need Rosa Parks. She's polished. Her character's unquestionable. We're going to use her to make this point. We used to choose people. We didn't go shopping for them at the morgue and wait on their toxicology report to find out how high. We didn't have to wait on their criminal. We didn't have to wait to see oh well, how how long is their criminal record. We used to choose our best and brightest and put them out front, not George Floyd, not Ahmaud Arbery, not Jacob Blake, not Shard Brooks, but now in this era where they have defined, no respect and carrying yourself in a dignified way. No, that's, that's the wrong approach. We need to rally around criminals. And I'm sorry if that hurts someone's feelings, but I told y'all what has been absent in this era and what is killing America is we don't want to tell uncomfortable truth. And that's why no comedian, every comedian runs around and acts like, oh, I just had dinner with George Floyd last week before Derek Chauvin killed him knowing damn well they wouldn't step within 10 feet of George Floyd and would call the police if he showed up on their front door. Comedians used to tell them kind of truths. Ministers did too. Now, you can feel sorry for George Floyd and want the best for him, but recognize the truth about how he lived his life and that he put himself in harm's way with his actions and behavior. That's the kind of uncomfortable truths that we used to tell used to liberate us and used to drive us to better results and better actions and behaviors and a better culture than this culture we've built where respect has nothing to do with anything and carrying yourself in a respectful way has nothing to do with anything. We've taken a dump on MLK and the generation that created all this freedom that we're all enjoying. LeBron James wouldn't have that money without Jackie Robinson and Martin Luther King and that generation and what they did and how they carried themselves. And now we think gangbangers Crip walking at halftime of a Super Bowl, they can take us and lead us where Martin Luther King and that generation took us. Cut it out. How did we get here? How did we do an entire pivot? This is a 60 year, 180 degree pivot. The people claiming to be the descendants, the heirs, the people filling Dr. King's shoes. This man, entire platform was about being judged by the content of our character, not the color of our skin. And the people that are claiming they are his heirs and out fighting for justice, the same as Dr. King, They want everything judged by skin color. They're implementing rules and standards in schools, in corporate America, in football. Make your decisions based on the color of skin, not on the content of character. This is a 180, this is a total betrayal. JFK, right there with Dr. King. Ask what you can do for your country. And now it's, it's the complete opposite. What does this country owe me? Where's my stimulus check? Where's my handout? Where's my free iPhone? I can't stand this country. I don't owe it any service. This country owes me. That's the entire mentality of this culture we've let loose here in America. And and the people leading this are the people saying, oh, I love JFK, I love MLK. But they're taking us the complete opposite direction. Here's the I'm gonna take a pause here because I got more to go. I'm I'm gonna pause, don't go anywhere. I'm just gonna tell you about ZStack and then I'm gonna go right back into what I was talking about. ZStack, with all the disinformation about COVID, it's easy to start to think it's no longer a threat, but every one of us knows someone who has gotten seriously ill during the pandemic. The best way to fight COVID is to plan ahead. That's why you need to take Z-Stack, the supplement specifically formulated to prevent and fight COVID. Z-Stack helped me personally in my battle against the Omicron variant. It was created by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko and contains a blend of vitamins that combine to give your immune system the special boost it needs to fight this virus off. Z-Stack is kosher and GMP certified, but most importantly, it's produced right here in the good old US of A now's the time for you to start taking back control of your health and the health of your family go to zstacklife.com fearless and enter the promo code fearless to get five percent off your first order that's zstacklife.com fearless promo code fearless you guys know i've implemented the z stack into my regimen you guys know that dr zelenko helped me out uh, when i was suffering from COVID. this stuff works you should support it you should your you, your entire family should make this part of your daily regimen uh, for one, just just for the health benefits. But, but two, because Dr. Zelenko and the Z Stack, people, they support me and you. They support the way we think. They support the values, the American values that we still love and want to protect. Now, let me go back to where I was. How we got here and, and, and what has changed. And, and I've lived long enough to remember, and again, this still relates to the respectability uh, politics deal. I lived long enough when my grandmother, my father, my mother, elders at my church, they would talk to us as kids about representing all of us black people with our public behavior, if I acted up inside a grocery store, if I acted up at the mall, if I acted up anywhere, my mama, my grandmother, my father, oh, you're not going to make a fool out of me. You're not going to make a fool out of black people. And they would slap me upside my head or on my backside. And I know you can't do that anymore, but I appreciated that that happened to me. It was not done out of abuse. It was done out of, hey man, you're not gonna make a fool out of me or black people at any time. And so there was this whole thing about protecting the image of black people that my parents, grandparents, that generation instilled in me. And This whole little new wave, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Ibram Kendi, uh, Joy Reid, Jamel Hill, all the little, but there's none of that anymore. Everybody is an individual brand. There is no collective brand that we as black people are trying to protect. We're trying to protect individual brands, and that's why simps, we'll run around. Oh my God, you said something bad about Kobe. Cause it's this individual brand and we, Oh, if we protect Kobe, if we protect these elites, never call them out. Don't call LeBron James out for doing something that's a bad look for him and black people. He's an elite. He's made a bunch of money. I'm a groupie for him. Yes, I know, I'm an athlete, and I competed against LeBron James and Kobe, and you know, my name is Matt Barnes or Steven Jackson, but I'm a groupie for these guys. And I must protect Kobe. I must protect LeBron James and these individual brands. Who cares if their behavior is a bad look for black people as a whole? And I, people, oh, there, there is, you can't connect what Will Smith did that doesn't say anything about black people. The hell it don't. If we're going to sit here and say Derek Chauvin's behavior reflects on all white people, why can't white people say OJ Simpson's behavior reflects on all black people? They do just because you play a little semantical game over Twitter don't mean that other people aren't sitting around, they're not playing that game in their real private conversations. This whole little thing, oh, we're gonna, there's one set of rules for us, capitalize the B in black, lowercase w, that's all a little fantasy world created by Big Tech, the Associated Press, and all these other clowns all these little symbols and gestures that you go for that don't work in the real world. You sitting around acting like some white woman in central park, uh, uh, calling the police on a dog catcher. Oh, that represents all white women and they're called Karens. But if somebody sees a loud black woman at the airport and said, Oh, there's, that's LaQuisha. Oh, that's racism. Quit lying to yourself. I know we're living in this age of deceit, but you're lying to yourself. Will Smith. I'm just sorry. He looks the exact same as Russell Westbrook. He looks the exact same as uh, the, the gangbangers in all these inner cities across the country that overload petty beefs. Uh, you said what about my woman? N-word, please. I'm going to smoke your ass. So lack of emotional control. Going off the handle over the smallest little thing that comes out of somebody's mouth. That's us. We've been doing it. Everybody's been witnessing it. We refuse to call it out. It's no different than, than, than me. And I, you know, y'all know I love to make these weight analogies and food analogies, but it's, I eat much worse when I'm lying to myself. When I refuse to get on the scale, when I refuse to address the truth of my obesity. Watch what I eat the day after I get off the scale as opposed to when I've gone a week without getting on the scale is completely different. And these are the kind of lies we're telling ourselves. Oh, let's pretend like this isn't happening. That Will Smith. Lack of emotional control isn't a symptom of a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is this feminist driven. Matriarchal LGBT obsessed culture that we have embraced. We've given in to feelings and emotions. Oh, I feel like a woman, therefore I am a woman. We've given into it. Men have, and we need to cut it out and stop it. And all this groupy stuff, worshiping other men. Oh my God. How can you criticize LeBron? Oh my God, you, you, you criticize Kobe Bryant. I'm gonna threaten to kill you. Snoop Dogg's gonna snick us, uh, uh, sick the Crips in the bloods on Gail King. This is feminist, out of control, matriarchal, feminine culture gone amok, run amok. We've removed all respect from how we deal with ourselves, how we deal with each other, and how we deal with those not us. We've allowed clowns to make money off us demonizing the tactics of Martin Luther King and that generation. The people most effective, the people that created the freedom and the opportunity that we're all enjoying now, we've demonized and criticized and belittled them and their tactics. There is no collective Hey, let's protect each other. Let's make sure we're carrying ourselves in a way that brings us dignity and respect. Instead, let's protect LeBron. Let's protect Barack Obama. Let's protect individuals. We have... How did we get here? The the civil rights movement was led by basically ordinary people, not celebrities. Martin Luther King was not a celebrity. His work eventually made him a celebrity, but this was a minister, the son of a minister and a minister whose movement made him a celebrity the people on the ground, John Lewis, all the people working with him, these weren't celebrities. Now, did celebrities lend their voices and offer some support? No question about it. Were they the leaders? Were they the people uh, on TV talking about this and, and leading the marches and rallies, strategizing the marches and rallies? No. We got this whole thing backwards now. Celebrities, the elites, the millionaires, the people that have benefited the most from Dr. King and what they produced, they're the leaders now. And they're all taking actions that benefit them and not you, not ordinary people. Look at the clown Jussie Smollett. You you think he staged that hate crime, that hoax, to benefit you, ordinary people? Or was he trying to benefit himself? Was he trying to build his brand? That's what all of this has turned into, brand building. Will Smith went up on that stage to protect His brand. He's lying, saying he was trying to protect his wife. Will Smith's brand is damaged because his wife has exposed their entire private life and personal life. He knows that he's been emasculated, so he foolishly (laughs) thought... I'm gonna get my masculinity back by slapping Chris rock, a comedian who has made TV shows and has said for years that his entire life he has been bullied. So Will Smith bullied the, the grown man who's been bullied his entire life. That's how he tried to get his image back, his restrengthen his brain. He's masculine. That's what this whole thing is about as it relates to elites. They're building their brands, trying to empower themselves. How can uh, Jamel Hill get to be the executive producer of a documentary? How can Tiffany Haddish get uh, her next contract to star in a movie or be the face of some bogus documentary that white people are actually going to put together they're just going to use her name That's that's all of this is about. This isn't about working class people. This isn't about poor black people. This is about black elites tr- trying to use the social justice movement to build their own individual brands. They're not in it for black people. They're in it for themselves. And, 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 and this, this may be my, my final point on this, but I'm going to take some time to unpack it. They have an identity crisis. They're trapped. And you can really see it most clearly in Jussie Smollett. When when that judge, I think his name's James Lynn, when he sentenced Jussie Smollett uh, for his race hoax, and he scolded him for 30 straight minutes, there was one passage in there that I thought encapsulated everything that's going on in this era with these celebrities, with these uh, media people, high-profile media people. They have an identity crisis. They're trapped by the foundation that was put in them by the previous generation, their parents, their grandparents. Their grandparents and parents tried to put something real in them. These people, to, they don't know what to do. They can't balance that. They can't get it to work in synergy with their pursuit of celebrity. They have an identity crisis. They can't live up to the values that were instilled in them, and so they just make a mess. And so here's the judge. I Just listen to what the judge Says about Jesse Smollett before sentencing him, I find this very enlightening. Play the clip. There's
3: no question. Mr. Smollett was born into a mixed race family. His mom is an African American woman. His dad was a white Jewish man. They had there were six siblings. And if you can say anything about this family, and we're talking about a very, very tight-knit family, a a village that that was always uh, in sync with each other, that cared about each other, was completely wholly supportive of each other, you know that this family knew about matters about social justice more than anything else. That's what the family stood for. It is part of the fabric of their existence. I know that Jussie Smollett grew up knowing to be sensitive to matters about racial discrimination, any kind of discrimination, any kind of social injustice. As a matter of fact, I'm learning more about it uh, as we're going on in the letters I've been receiving and the testimony I've heard today. He's been doing this all his life. He doesn't just talk the talk, he's walking the walk. He's out there, he's advocating. He's involved in the community. He cares deeply about social justice issues. And for you now to sit here convicted of hoaxing Hate crimes, racial hate crimes and homophobic hate crimes. The hypocrisy is just astounding. It's caught in the middle
1: between the foundation that was instilled in him as a kid from his family. To the racial politics that he must adopt to be to to be a celebrity in this era. He's caught between his values and his politics and his celebrity. Because politics and celebrity go hand in hand. In order to be a celebrity in good standing in modern America, your values must line up with social media groupthink and the Democratic Party. Those values that have been forced on you from social media, celebrity, and leftist politics contradict the values you were taught growing up as a young person. Same situations going on with Will Smith and that pagan wife of his and the values will was brought up by by his grandmother, those biblical values. And that's why will's talking about God. And then he's thinking about, well, I got to live up to these celebrity standards. That in order for me to make all this money and be a celebrity in good standing, there's all this woke racial politics. I have to be for There's this sexual immorality that I have to be for. These people are having identity crisis. They're cracking up. Russell Westbrook comes from a good family. He's cracking up. His values are in conflict with things he's being forced to do. This is across the board. I want to play a clip from Dave Chappelle. This is a couple of days after uh, the 2020 election. He hosted Saturday Night Live and did a infamous 16-minute monologue to open the show. Uh, I want to play you just a small clip for where Dave Chappelle started in his mono with Saturday Night Live as he described his great-grandfather. Let's play the clip. I was thinking about a person I never actually met, but I heard about all my life. I was thinking about my great-grandfather, who apparently, by all accounts, was a very great man. He was born a slave in South Carolina, Uh, was a slave for 10 years of his life. And when the Northerners came down, they started educating some of the the newly freed black children and and he learned how to read. Got enamored with education and dedicated his life to three things. Education, freedom of black people, Jesus Christ became a juggernaut, Naomi Church. It's a pretty amazing story my great grandfather had. Three things, and I wrote about this at the time. Dave Chappelle, and this is this previous generation, previous generations, what they wanted was the right to be educated, they wanted American freedom, and they wanted to worship Jesus Christ That was the foundation that was laid in most of the kid, black kids that I knew from my generation, their parents were interested in education, freedom, and Jesus. That was their family structure and dynamic. That was the conversation. Education, freedom, and Jesus. And now we've over the last 60 years, I'm 54, Uh, and so to me, this process started before I was even born, but it didn't take root until a few years later. But if if you go, just look at hip hop, which we call our culture, it's the culture. It's anti-education, completely. Misspelling, mispronouncing, misusing words, is foundational in hip-hop. Being dumb is foundational. Everybody basically that's a mega star in hip-hop, and again, this isn't where it started, used to be some college rapper, there was a rap group called the College Boys when I was a kid. Now it's basically a shrine to ex-drug dealers and ex-drug users and pimps has nothing to do with education. We don't care about freedom anymore at all. We don't understand its value. We're willing to sacrifice freedom. Oh, they told us to wear a mask? They told us to get a vaccine? Do it, the government told us that. And we look crazy at people that's like, well, hold on, man. I love America because of my freedom. And I don't have to wear a mask if I don't, I don't have to take a vaccine if I don't want to. That's what people used to love about uh, America. The freedom to choose. Particularly as it relates to your body. And now... We look at those people like they're the nuts. How dare you want to be free? You must take a vaccine that doesn't prevent the disease that doesn't stop the spread of the disease that doesn't impact me at all. You must take it because the government said so. You must wear a mask that doesn't stop the spread of the disease based on what the CDC is saying. But you must wear that mask because the government told you so you must be a robot. You must be, we we need to give up all these freedoms. Oh my God. You know what? The right to own a gun, and protect yourself from an oppressive government and governments oppress and exploit? Oh, those are nut jobs, those people that wanna maintain their gun rights. They're racist. We don't, we've moved away from education, we've moved away from freedom, and you know dang well we've moved away from Jesus. we toss Jesus to the side every day but Sunday. And we only keep him in place Sunday for those two or three hours we're in church. But Jesus and Christianity and faith have nothing to do with any other decision that we make. I like Denzel Washington. This man claims to be and carries himself, to some degree, like a Christian. But when they were shouting gay, 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 Denzel had the biggest smile on his face and was clapping and shinning and grinning just like everybody else. It's the, again, I don't want anybody to think I'm demonizing the gay community. Because that was the equivalent of someone shouting gluttony, 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 And didn't tell, oh yes, gluttony. Be gluttonous. Again, people that are, again, our our worldview. Jesus has no impact on it. We're pro abortion. What we do and what we it doesn't have to align with our faith. Those are political issues. Those are completely separate. We're pro abortion. We're pro uh, same-sex marriage. Those are political, (laughs) religion is a little side issue. I'll worry about that on Sunday. I'll repent right before I die. So what I'm saying is we have a generation from Dave Chappelle who has nearly cracked up. and, And again, I like Dave Chappelle. I'm not trying to beat up on Dave Chappelle, but we have a whole generation of black people. My age and younger, but even, take that back even older than me. Trapped between the values they say they believe in. And the. Politics that they've adopted and the point of view that they've adopted and the price, the, if, if in order to maintain your job, You got to shove every vaccine known to man up your rear end. You'll do it. You got to wear, if your kids got to wear a mask, if your kids have to go to a school where the teachers are talking to them about their sexuality, when they're in kindergarten, first or second or third grade, we'll co-sign for any and all of it. If they got your kids in second and third grade dancing around the school in a gay pride deal, we're good with it. We're tra- We've abandoned every value that we were brought up with to serve what is popular over social media, what keeps us in good standing in a Sodom and Gomorrah culture. So if you want to see what Will Smith cracked up, Jesse Smollett cracked up, Dave Chappelle cracks up from time to time. Our values and what we believe and what we do are not remotely aligned. <laughs> Again, we say we love Dr. King, but we've become comfortable with people disrespecting the tactics, the Christian tactics, the turn the other cheek, the be a better man tactics that won us our freedom. We will take a dump on them. We have gone from determined to gain our American freedom and prove that we are Americans, to hating America or expressing hatred for America because we don't. Done a complete 180. Now let me go out and show everybody how much I hate America. That's the thing to do. That'll improve things. It's all a lie. You can't stay sane lying to yourself. You cannot love the fruit as much as these people love the fruit because Will Smith loves the fruit. All that money they didn't paid him, all that fame and celebrity, he loves it and will do anything to maintain it, including walk on stage at the Oscars and slap another man to protect his brand. He loves the fruit of America. He's being forced to act like he hates the tree. It's illogical. It's irrational. It will drive you insane. Colin Kaepernick loves the fruit of America. This dude with shirt off, standing next to cars, uh, running white women in and out of his bedroom. Now he, oh, now he hates the tree. I'm not, I'm not going to do it because it would be unfair. But these big superstar athletes and some of them love to get on social media and talk about how racist America is. But in their private life, there's no secrets out in Hollywood. Everybody knows what they're doing. They're loving the fruit every chance they get. Every chance they get, they're loving the fruit and pretending to hate the tree. It's driving them insane. They're lying to the rest of you and everybody else. I, I, I promised uh, Dave, Shannon, and Shamika that I thought I would get to them. I apologize. What I'm going to do, hopefully, they're watching, is I, I'm going to let these guys respond to this tomorrow. I've talked here uh, longer than I planned. I want to bring uh, Anthony and Bobby on. It's Wednesday. It's Tennessee Harmony. I want to get a biblical take. My take here was a bit more worldly uh, than usual. I apologize to Dave and Shamika. I will get your takes on what I've said uh, tomorrow if you're available. Uh, But I want to bring in uh, Bobby and Anthony. We'll get... 20 minutes or so of a biblical take, and then we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Tennessee Harmony.
4: It's regrets, decisions. We don't want go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom.
1: All right, welcome back. Time for a little harmony, Uh, time to get more of a biblical perspective on what I have been talking about uh, today, the Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock situation. And so uh, Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Anthony Walker from Renew.org are here with us as they are every Wednesday. Uh, Guys, uh, start us out with a quick prayer. Perhaps that'll calm me down a little bit and then we can get into this discussion. I'll start. So, uh, God, we call out to you.
2: Here we are on the show before many thousands of people. And we just call out for this nation. Uh, Jason spoke a lot of truth, but we know it. this truth breaks your heart. And so we just pray for our nation that, God, we would turn back to you. Would you help us to turn back to you in your ways? And also, we just want to pray Uh, We pray for Will and Jada Smith and we pray that you'd bring them uh, together. We pray for them. We pray for Chris Rock and uh, we really just bring before you all of us because they epitomize so many of us in this country.
4: Father God, we continue in prayer asking that you help us everything that we say and do to be pleasing and acceptable to you. And Father, we pray that even the discussion All the discussions here as well as around the world are led back to you as we find resolution for our situations of life. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
1: Uh, So there were a couple things that happened Sunday night. I thought when Will Smith got back up after striking him and accepted the award, he referenced God, that God was calling him to basically, he insinuated God was calling him to do that. Uh, And then he also shared what Denzel Washington told him that, uh, you know, the devil will get you at your highest moment. Uh, Not a bad sentiment, I I don't think. I don't find anything offensive by that. But I, I did. What did you all think as ministers of in that moment? Will Smith insinuating that God had called him to strike another man in defen- alleged def- defense of his wife.
4: Go ahead, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: so funny because we're watching the replay of it because I had uh, flown in late uh, Sunday night. We're watching the replay and he brings up God. My wife's so angry and I'm like, Cindy, be quiet. I want to hear what he says. This could be a really important moment. And um, I just want to say, We may not know everything that's going on and uh, I'm going to like, I I want the best for people. And so I'm hoping uh, there's actually a lot of churning going on in Will Smith's life and that God's at the center of it. That would be a good thing, but I don't know much more than that.
4: Uh, To me, it sounded like how rap artists get up and their album is vulgar and Degrading, etc. And the first person they want to thank for their award is, I want to thank God for this. I just, I mean, you talk about watching it as I'm watching it with my wife. I, I just cut it off. I said, I can't. I can't because this had nothing to do about God. This was about will. This moment was about will. The glory from this is not going to God. This is about Him. And he rubber stamps God on this. God called me to be a protector. When did God call you to be a protector at that time? You were a protector way back when. Were you protecting your wife when August Alsina is hanging around, hanging around your family like he's too old to be with your daughter? But who is this young guy that is in my family's house who are you protector then? Are you a protector when your daughter and son are going through sexual identity crisis? Are you protecting them? Like, are you protecting your marriage when, you know, the, the red table discussion exposes? Are you protecting them? But now when the comedian gets up and jokes on, you know, I, I went back and looked at this. Jada You know, she she has alopecia. okay, But as she, you know, struggles through this and we all struggle sometimes with our bodies as they change, as we get older. In one of her last videos about it, she says at this point, I just have to laugh like, you know, she's kind of okay. This is where we are. So whether Chris knew or whether Chris doesn't know, that's one thing. But I didn't I I just it didn't resonate with me that this was about God. This was about will and justifying what I did by trying to put God in this to say, okay, God calls me to be a protector of of women uh, in this moment. So,
1: Anthony, I'm a thousand percent in lockstep with your take. Part of me, though, is sympathetic to where I think Bobby may have been going and so I'm going to ask both of you as ministers, when you're dealing with uh, someone at my church used to call baby Christians, mm-hmm. people early in their yeah. Christian journey, mm-hmm. they misinterpret virtually everything. Yeah. And so is there a possibility that he's just misinterpreting what God is leading him to do and applying it wrong and he just needs correction? Yeah. So, like, um, I felt some of what Cindy was
2: saying at that moment and what you guys are saying. Here's the thing that we always want to be careful with is we don't know everything that's going on in somebody's life. True. And uh, if he's getting up and and publicly saying, which he normally doesn't do, talking about God, uh, I just want to hope, and I'll just leave it at that, I want to hope that that's what's happening, that, you know, because he was cussing and swearing earlier, Uh, and obviously what he did wasn't right. But there are a lot of times when you're trying to mature and grow up, you're going to, the immaturities are going to come out. And so I just, I want to choose to hope, because I don't want to be naive, but I want to choose to hope that there's some stuff going on there that's really good stuff. Uh, The thing that I would just say it's coming back to the concern we all share and that my wife and I were talking about that night is that so many people just claim to be Christians, but they're not, they're not trying to follow Jesus. They're, they're not surrendered to Jesus as King and as Lord. And uh, it's really use, easy to use God for your purposes. And I sure hope he wasn't doing that, but it kind of, you could definitely argue that he was.
4: I'll, I'll go there. You know, if he is, at this stage, if he's trying to mature, he's like you said, maybe he's a baby Christian and as babies do, they spit up, they drop things and said, OK, if he's kind of going along the lines, this is a good moment for accountability. Uh, you know, one of the fruits yeah. of the spirit is self-control and, 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 and will, you know, and he's my, my struggle with that, though, is that he's talked so much about so many other things, but OK. I can't control Chris Rock. I can't control the audience's laughter. I can't control what the fans and the world sees and and takes out of this situation. But I can control my behavior. And and, and one of the things that you bring that up. I've had situations where, you know, I've been embarrassed publicly in my element uh, one Sunday, several years ago, uh, I preached and sat down and, and someone got up and made a response and basically lambasted my sermon right before the congregation. I'm sitting in the audience. My family's in the audience. And I'm thinking, man, I, I pour myself into the word of God throughout the week. I, I pour myself into ministry and serving others. And this is what's going on right now. And I mean, it's, it's live. It's just. But I sat there. Because I can't control this guy. Now, at some point in time, we're going to be able to talk with him. I'm going to be able to deal with this. But me losing control doesn't control the situation. It, it only makes it worse. So if that's the case, if he is struggling with this, that's when, you know, if, if that's what Denzel was attempting to do. OK. And even in what Denzel said, I agree with that. Sometimes the devil does attack us in our highest moments. But you know, when you look at the life of Joseph, he was attacked all along the way. He's caught by his brothers because of jealousy. He's put in a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's forgotten about in prison. He's, uh, you know, blamed by Potiphar's wife. Like all of this is happening on the way. So we're attacked all along the way and even at our heights. Um, But I, I just, I'm looking at maturity uh, from will. But Jason, I'm just saying there's one thing about transparency. There's a scripture that I had uh, in this discussion. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Um, There are some things that chapter you Proverbs 29 and verse 11 A fool vents all his feelings but a wise man holds them back. Um, There are some things that in my relationships with people, they're different in levels of intensity and transparency. There are things I share with Bobby. I'm not sharing before the public. There are things I share with my family, my wife, et cetera. I'm not sharing to the public. So, so when you have that kind of exposure, that red table, yeah, we had an entanglement. That's a husband and wife. Behind closed doors, deep discussion. But when you open yourself up like that to the masses, yes, there are people out there who will be watching. They'll say, Oh man, I'm so concerned about them. Man, I pray that they're okay. But then there's also some folk that are gonna watch and laugh and joke and jump on that. If you're not prepared to deal with all of that, that's between you guys. But then Will comes back a couple of years later. And divulges in his memoir. Oh, yeah. You know, we have an open situation and all this like you've opened you guys up to this. And even with her struggle with alopecia, where we are with social media, we just share everything publicly. But when someone wants to say something against it now, that's none of your business. Keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Was her name in your mouth? When y'all are dealing with these issues. Hey, Jada, hold on before we talk about that on national TV. No, we don't talk about that at home. That's a man. That's a protector. But to go through that and then the comedian gets up and I, you know, I struggle with even the tape, Jason. I know I'm getting a little animated, but I struggle with the tape. He laughs at the joke. So, okay, but there's a moment where Okay, now. And I, I think Chris, I think Chris is holding his hands back because there could have been a moment of maturity where Will could have gotten up to say, man, don't talk about my wife, man, and went right back to his seat. I think that's why Chris is leaning, oh, what's what's getting ready to happen now? And he slaps him. And that is a a line. I know you're looking at it from a spiritual angle, but you know, even as a black man, like The stereotype of us in some circles is that we can't control our emotions. We can't be respectable. We can't be. I think you referenced Jackie Robinson. You're playing a baseball game at its highest level where focus and attentiveness has to be on everything while the crowd is throwing stuff at you, insulting your family, insulting you. A lot of guys during that era, they had to go through that While they're on this level. But the greatest strength is not being able to pull the gun. Anybody can do that. The greatest strength is being able to withhold. Man, could you imagine the story that everybody's laughing, but Will just sits down and, okay, all right. And then he gets up and accepts this award. Wow, what great! Strength. What great self-control. But now you've exposed, hey, I don't even I can't I can't control my wife. I can't control my kids, my family. I can't even control myself.
1: Anthony, you hit on something that I've been talking about, I think, for a decade of like the culture. American society, corporate media seems to be telling men. No give into your emotions, emote, share this is all and and w- what I keep saying is like there there's a proper place sure. to let your emotions go. I think with your family, with your minister, mm-hmm. be very, but publicly and again this is I've criticized these guys on ESPN to get on here and cry and blah blah blah. and I'm like really what, what, how's it what what's the advantage but I'm telling men are being convinced that if we would just behave more like women, the world would improve. And it's just the opposite, in my view. But again, I'm sure in churches, y'all, I'm sure men over the last decade, what should we do with the, our emotions? When should we share and when should we not? What's your alls advice? So I think that uh,
2: what Anthony brought up in terms of multiple passages in the Bible that talk about restraining yourself. Uh, Not not saying that it's wrong to cry Jesus. Jesus would cry. So but there's a restraint, a personal restraint. Um, You know, for example, the Bible teaches uh, in your anger, do not sin. So you're going to get angry, but you don't want to you don't want to sin in the midst of it. I do think that we're living in a time and I think you're right to point this out where it feelings how I feel. Is more important than anything and that's throughout history that's a brand new thing uh, where feelings uh, are the most important thing that drives our behavior and how we feel makes it right and I just want to say the Bible teaches against that
4: you ask how you know one of the ways that that I handle it I know I've brought it up several times about our men's retreat um, but we create environments for men that are struggling with so many different things, but we create an environment for men with men to be able to handle that. Because sometimes it's the older wisdom that needs to speak at this time. Sometimes it is a point where we need to listen. Sometimes a husband may come in that, you know, they're having issues in their marriage and and he's wanting to lash out, but there needs to be men of God, that can surround him. Hey, hold on, bro. Let, let's, let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. It's kept within us. It's, it's kept in this circle. And he knows that, man, I got some men that are with me who love God and who love me and who love us enough to help me with that. The young guys that are dealing with There are young, you know, guys who are dealing with you know, my dad left my mom and, you know, he's no good this and I'm angry with the world and my cousin got shot and all this kind of stuff. Wait a minute, guys. I understand you're angry about this. But there is a way to handle that anger that it does not become destructive to you, but constructive for your life. So so we set that. Now, as far as, you know, men being able to open up and be vulnerable. And that's what I'm speaking about in, in, in part with will vulnerability has a cost. Um, again, if I cry on set and it's seen by the masses, there will be some that will be able to look at that and say, oh, man, I understand how he feels. I relate to that, et cetera. And then there are going to be some that say, man, you come on, you're crying on. T- what is this all about? I have to understand that cost. And so I need to be vulnerable and open with those who value my spiritual life those who share my values. I need to open up to, hey, man, I'm going through this and this stays between us. This is worked out between us and God so that when I leave from that, I'm stronger for it. And that's why I'm saying, Will, if he's that hot commercial break and as he's storming up to stage, Denzel, Tyler, who? Hey, bro, what, what, what's going on, man? Hey, man, this dude is saying this all about my wife, et cetera. I, I get I get I understand. Calm down, man. You know, you here on the biggest night. Let's just focus on that. We can deal with him later. You lose control. Now it is fodder. Your vulnerability publicly now is fodder for everybody else. And especially those that look at us to say, <laughs> see. And and as you pointed out earlier about how Hollywood deals with black men and whatever image it feeds right into. Oh, you guys are violent. And look at how the Oscars handled that. They sat back and watched it. And it was just like it was a scene in a movie. And we go to the next scene. Now we're taking that guy and we're giving him an award. We all stand and applaud that 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 whole scenario bothered me. On so many levels, in particular spiritually, I get kind of antsy when people want to put God in places to cover up their mess. Like this isn't about God, Will. This is about you.
2: I'm just going to sum up one thing Uh, there in, in the book of James. It says everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's it which is just a paradigm, a mental paradigm in those uh, situations. I don't know if we uh, if you want to talk about it today or come back to it, Jason, but you're hitting at something since you began the show today that I do think is important. And it's the propensity of people to think that I get to describe my relationship with God and I'm good with God if I think I'm good with God. Mm. And uh, there's a key passage you and I talked about on the phone this morning that I wouldn't mind bringing up because it's been super instrumental in helping me change my life. And I think it's a really important passage. It's in Matthew chapter seven. I think we've got a slide with it. Matthew chapter seven, as Jesus is completing one of his most important teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And Jesus says, I'll tell them, I never knew you away from me. And I just, I think what you're getting at, and I just want to reiterate it from a biblical perspective, is that we don't get to make up the relationship with Jesus. He's King and Lord, Mm -hmm. and he gets to tell us what it is to trust him as Savior And to really have a relationship with him as King and Lord that will lead to salvation and
1: right living here on earth. I I want you just to clarify that just a step further. You're saying that people are, well, here's my relationship with God and I'm good with it. This is how I perceive it to be. And I think because what I'm arguing is uh, I do think people are doing that. And they don't care whether their actions are obedient. Yeah, to the, <laughs> that's exactly right.
2: Okay, you, you don't get your own private Jesus. Okay, uh, we we you don't get to do that. He's King and Lord, and He establishes what a real relationship is, and that's why He's given us Scripture, and Scripture is our guide, and the Scripture teaches us that you judge a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And if the fruit of, of our lives is not obedience and really pursuing and, and obeying God and giving him the glory, then uh, our claims at, at, at best should be suspicious. And that's the problem with what Will Smith was doing. When you're looking at it and, and you're looking at Denzel Washington laughing at gay, 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 you know, and, and it's, treating, it's treating the teachings of Jesus... Um, like it's just cheap and trash. And that's not... your underwear that you change. Yeah, that, that's not... I'd unsold these, I'm going to toss it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what you're trying to get at, and I just wanted to punctuate it from a biblical point
1: of view. Last thing I want to ask you guys about tying it together with my conversation before you guys came on set. Uh, this lack of respect for respect and the belittling, diminishing of the tactics that Dr. King and the previous generation, uh, and so it's my belief and understanding like their tactics were biblically inspired in yeah. terms of turning of the cheek, nonviolence, and then presenting themselves in a very dignified way to expose the wickedness of their opposition. It's like when I'm all dressed up, and somebody else is wearing overalls that are dirty, it, it's, I look even more clean and they look even dirtier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a very, and, and we're in yeah. this era now where respect isn't valued as a strategy, isn't valued in, in any way. And, and I'm just wondering, uh, how did, from y'all's, how did we get here other than obviously obvious, we, we've walked away from the teachings in the scripture and the Bible or whatever. But to where we, we don't think respect is essential in
4: gaining respect. So I, I think it goes to how we are defining what that looks like, that respectability. And a lot of times people look at that on the scope of authenticity. So if there's a Martin Luther King who obviously had some things in his past and in his life that weren't aligned, but publicly he was seen as respectable, et cetera. The generations that are coming now are saying I'm going to be my authentic self. So if my emotions are raw, They define. Right. Right. If If that then this is just it. And I am. And you guys are not because. But you make the point about. Jesus and how he dealt with that. Uh, We were talking on the way over here about this. In John chapter 12, Jesus is letting his disciples know the end of the story. I'm, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be arrested, crucified. And he shares with the 12, my soul is troubled. Okay. That's what he really feels. But when he gets arrested publicly, the text says, he says not a mumbling word. He's not out there, y'all ain't gonna take me, I'm this, that, no, 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 no. This was what I'm called to do. This is what I'm here to do. I'm struggling with it and those who know and value what my call is, I can let them know this, I can be vulnerable here, but out here, I'm going to remain, hey, this this is what I'm supposed to do and he did it. So where we are with respect, it's not that I'm being inauthentic When I don't act out all that I see and all that I think and all of my raw, that's not inauthentic. That is I respect God enough because when we go out, Jason, I'm representing I might be today the image of Jesus that somebody needs to see. And that's not me elevating myself. I'm just saying because I believe in the teachings of Jesus because I believe what he is. I'm supposed to be an image bearer of God. So when I go out, I'm going to see that and they're going to see that this is who I am. And if I go out there and this is what I look like and I'm acting all crazy, that's going to make them think that this is what God is all about and not really what he's really about.
2: I've thought a lot about this. uh, So let me just kind of tell you what uh, how I understand it. First thing is that even in the Ten Commandments, it starts by respecting God and then honoring your father and mother. And you have this order that God has established so that you find in the New Testament, you've got this, okay, honor God, honor your parents. The Bible tells us repeatedly, even when uh, um, Nero was the king, to honor the king. Mm -hmm. So if God cares about authority and tells us to give respect for whom respect is due, one of the hallmarks of godly people is going to be showing respect. And that's lost today in our culture.
1: Amen. Great. I got this, Anthony, this authenticity thing is giving me something to think about and write about because I think it ties into what we were talking about in terms of this authentic, authenticity that we're giving out is again—it's our definition of who we hey. are. It's not God's definition of who we are, and so we fall in love. I'm a, I'm authentically black, and I've I've mm-hmm. told people this. I was like, "Well, hold on, man, are we, shouldn't we be?" I'm authentically Christian. Okay. Isn't that a higher level? Isn't that a higher calling? Sure. Uh, because again, I, I sit there and say, "Well, Hollywood," and and. People that don't even believe in God are, are defining what black is. Joe Biden is out here telling you, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, you know, now, if you're trying to be authentically Christian, that actually holds you to a standard that will actually lead to you improving your life and, and being a great representation of God and your family and all this other stuff. But, but we've all... And this relates to transgenderism and all these yes. different sexual identities. We think we get to decide who our authentic self is. It's already been decided for us. It's right there in the scriptures. Right. This society was better and moving more towards justice when we were actually trying to hold. And that's what I think Dr. King and them publicly in particular sure. were trying to hold the let me go out here and be the best Christian I can be. Let me put let me be the representation of God and Christianity that will attract other people and blah, blah, blah. Now, I got some sins I'm working on. But trust me, come on over here. And he's working
4: on me. In yes. mine, you yes. Know? Yes. When you when you said that, I think it goes back to what uh, Dave Shannon said on, on the other show. I think Monday, if we go by the word, we have an objective standard it's objective there is no subjectivity now it is whatever i think i am i am and you must acknowledge me these are my pronouns etc we've left oh my goodness <laughs> well it's the triumph of the modern self it's right.
2: the triumph of my feelings my desires where we've cut ourselves off from biblical authority we've cut ourselves off from our history we've cut ourselves off from family values and traditions. And so I reign supreme and how I feel. And you can't build a society that way.
1: Mm, uh, great stuff. Uh, let's play tomorrow and we'll see you uh, tomorrow.
4: Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line four. Freedom, looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just want to have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone i am breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all when We all want to be free We want freedom